The Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. Bruce, we're going to get to some emails here in a little bit, uh, which will deal with college football. Uh, we're making a little exception, though, to this college football show and talking to somebody who is going to be on an NFL broadcast Thursday night. That's our good friend of the program, Kaylee Hartong, who is now the sideline reporter as Amazon does its first regular season NFL game. Big deal, right? It is a big deal. Uh, it's interesting that she has, it doesn't seem like that long ago that she was doing college football, but um, she obviously went to do hard news and, and real news for, I guess it's five years. Was it? We'll have to ask her, uh, but, but yes, it's a, we'll, we'll get into it with her, but I was uh, stunned, but also very pleased when she decided to return to sports. So Without further ado, here's Kaylee. All right, we are pleased to be joined now by Kaylee Hartong from Amazon, not CNN, not ABC, not ESPN, not CBS. Between you and Bruce, you guys have worked for every, I just realized between the two of you, you've worked for like every broadcast company in America. Um, <laughs> Kaylee, this is a really big deal. Uh, I don't want to like put the pressure on you here, but I was just reading the Andrew Marchand story in the New York Post. He says, this will be, this Thursday night regular season debut will be the most streamed live event in the history of streaming. Um, yeah, she just got a look <laughs> on her face and like, oh my God. I read this article yet. I will, Andrew, I will read the article. Oh God. No pressure, <laughs> no pressure right? Like, way to put it into perspective. But how cool is that? I mean, it's so rare in this industry to get to be a part of building something new. Like I feel so lucky for all of the places I've worked and the history behind them, but being a part of something new is really special. And, and especially to get to do it with the group of people that I get to now call teammates. I'm clearly still in disbelief. I think you can see it on my face right now, guys. Um, but yeah, wow, let's go. I mean, I, the <laughs> excitement, like my head might explode before the ball gets kicked off in Arrowhead uh, in that environment. Like what an incredible place to start it. And I just got to drive past Arrowhead for the first time. I've never been inside. And I think for somebody who, who grew up around college football and some of the best that there is in Death Valley to then getting to cover college football at the most uh, wonderful environments that there are on that level, uh, this is a legitimate welcome to the NFL moment um, be, at Arrowhead be, Stadium. It will be interesting to see if you react that this stadium, which along with I think where the Seahawks play, and I don't know what they're calling CenturyLink now, but are the two loudest places in the NFL. Will this be louder than the stadium you grew up in in Baton Rouge? Good question. I mean, I think this is as close as it's going to get, right? You know, I mean, to put 100,000 people in Death Valley – is uh, something pretty special and unique. But, uh, you know, 76 in Arrowhead, I think they know how to, how to amp up the volume and the energy. So I'll, I'll feed off that, no doubt. And, you know, it was funny. There were so many times where I'd be like in studio for Good Morning America and it's so quiet. Like, and it made me uncomfortable at times how quiet it is because I think I thrive in those environments where you've got a bunch of screaming lunatics behind you and you're able to just focus in on the task, but also feed off of that energy. So I can't wait. 
Okay, so speaking of Good Morning America, we should note, by the way, the last time Kaylee was on the Audible was on a much less joyous occasion. It, this strange new virus had hit the country. You were covering it for ABC. You were covering like the very beginnings of it. And you were literally the first person I personally know who had COVID. And I think we were like treating you like an exotic zoo animal. What's it like? What the, how is it? <laughs> it's what so it this is like. obviously much better circumstances. But yeah, take us through, you know, you were at ABC. You were covering all these big yeah, I felt like I always joked with you every time there's a natural disaster, there was Kaylee. Um, <laughs> why return to sports and in particular to this this sports property? Dude, why not? You know, I, I really enjoyed my time in news for the past five years. Um, and I'm very proud of the work that I was able to do at CNN and then ABC News. But I recognized that so often I was showing up on the worst day of people's lives. I didn't take that lightly. Um, I took the job very seriously. I learned so much through the process. But you know, quite honestly, when the call came from Amazon, I had that gut feeling that I think we've all had at different moments in our career where you just know this is right. I didn't go looking for it. I didn't expect it. Um, but when the job was offered to me, I, I just knew it was a jump that I had to take. It was too good to pass up. And, uh, now I get to get back to showing up on the best days in people's lives and really celebrating and honoring all of the work that these athletes put in to be so exceptional at their craft at the highest level, uh, from the time and the the commitment, the, the sacrifices that they make to be great. I, feel like it's a tremendous privilege to get to tell those stories and to get to and be a true reporter about how I handle this job as a sideline reporter in the NFL. You know, in my very first conversation with Al Michaels, he was like, legal issues, medical issues, we're counting on you to have that dialed. And I was like, yes, sir, you've got it. I can I can do that for you. And I feel like Al and Fred Gadelli, our producer and Kirk, uh, really appreciate the eye that I come to this job with from a different perspective, having been removed from sports for the past five years. But, you know, similarly in my, my first conversation with Kirk, once this, this opportunity was on the table, um, he knows just like you guys do how much of a sports fan I truly am at heart and how much I appreciate getting to be a part of this. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, It was a difficult decision to leave ABC News because I truly loved that job. And I'm so grateful for the the real like breadth of opportunities and stories that they let me tell uh, because it was from the biggest stories in the country from covering COVID uh, to natural disasters. Um, But they also let me have fun. And I think that's what I was missing for a couple of years there before I got to ABC. Um, You know, I got to interview Elton John and Katy Perry and go zip lining across uh, Fremont Street in Las Vegas. Like there was some fun to be had too. And, and that's the way I've always thought of my career and wanting it to evolve was to be trusted, to do everything, to be trusted with the biggest stories, um, to be allowed to be in all of those different positions. And ABC gave me that opportunity, but um, yeah, again, this, this, this deal with Amazon was just too good to pass up. I know Stu brought up the COVID time and I remember just, you're one of the few people I've worked with who everybody liked. Like, oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I mean, look, I did, I didn't know everybody at ESPN and I'm I'm sure it's hard. You know, if if I get a couple of drinks in Joe Tess, maybe he'll, he'll be like, yeah, I wanted all that airtime. She was gobbling up. Who knows? (laughs) I can count on Joe Tess to have my back of all people. I know I can. I I would agree. But so 
I want to go back a little bit to when you are doing ABC, CNN, especially around COVID, because I know just from, you know, following each other on Instagram, you would see, you would tweet something out or you would post something and there would be a lot of venom coming back. And I can only imagine how exhausting that probably got. And it probably, I imagine it probably made you see things in a much different light. Um, look, as Stu and I, one thing we don't experience as, as males who cover anything, especially college sports, we don't get, we get, we get ignorance, but we don't get the same, you know, like some of the real cringe stuff that some of our, some of our friends get, some of our colleagues get, but the level you seem to have been getting was like, was kind of pretty sickening. Like, how did you handle that? And is it a relief that you probably won't have to deal with much of that anymore? Uh, a relief. Yes, um, for sure. And, 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 you know, ironically, we were just in a meeting at the chief's facility with Chris Jones and uh, he actually brought up the concept of like, oh, do, you know, you can't pay attention to social media. You know, you got to block that stuff out. And the fact was, when I was at ESPN and, and through my time covering sports, I was treated very kindly um, on social media. And I appreciated that. Um, I, I really, truly did. There was that one time I was accused of, um, jinxing a no hitter at the college world series for TCU. Uh, thank God Jim Swassnagel, uh, had my back there. But, um, but other than that, I, I didn't experience the real vitriol that exists on the internet until I went to CNN. And, uh, and that was tough. It, it was tough because, I would be accused of things that I just didn't feel were fair. You know, I think what I've tried to tell people and what I came to understand in being on CNN is that I think so often when people are watching cable news, they, they don't know how to differentiate between the voices that they're hearing. So I tell people when you're watching CNN, you need to watch it like you watch ESPN, you know, or you need to watch it like you're watching a, a sporting event, right? Like as you're watching our Thursday night crew, on Prime Video, you know Al Michaels is the play-by-play guy. You understand what his role is to set up the game, to introduce the players, to identify uh, what's happening on the field. You understand that Kirk Herbstreet is the analyst, that he is paid to give you his opinion, that he's coming from a certain place of knowledge and his background. And, and you understand that I am the reporter on the field, there for the interviews, there to give you the stories and the facts based on interviews I've done, based on reporting I have done. Those roles are so clearly defined. But when you're watching cable news so often, it's not easy for the casual viewer to delineate between the host, the commentators, who, again, are paid to give you their opinion because they're coming from a partisan point of view. They were a previous you know, a official in an administration, a press secretary, worked on this campaign or that. Or you're me and you're a reporter and the job for me is the same. Whether I'm reporting on news or sports, what I'm telling you on television is based on my reporting and the digging that I'm doing into a story and the firsthand conversations that I'm having with the people most important to it. So I would get heat, you know, from people who were watching CNN where I'm like, whoa, I wasn't there to give you my opinion. I was just telling you what happened, you know, hold the phone back up a second. Um, but it's just, it's where we are in our country right now. And it's, um, it's a, the internet can be a scary place. And I, I learned that the hard way. And then when it came to me being at ABC and any story I did on COVID, you know, um, I was just reminded that science wasn't winning arguments. You know, people had their opinions and they couldn't be convinced no matter how hard the evidence or facts. Um, so Let's see what happens. I mean, NFL fans, you know, that's a different landscape for me too. 
Uh, God knows they have their opinions, but I really do do hope that what I bring to a broadcast can only enhance people's viewing experience and like bring to add to the excitement that they feel about a game and that it's not at all anything that invites that sort of uh, vitriol or criticism that that does exist out there. I don't, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, the, the politically driven, you know, vitriol. I, no. I do, I do still recommend you stay off Twitter on those Thursday nights because yeah. there are yeah. people who are going to analyze what you're wearing and, you know, how you smiled when you interviewed the coach and all that, all that good stuff. But, you know, we got your back. Um, Appreciate you guys. So I don't know if you know this, but there actually is another person on this Zoom who has been a sideline reporter in the NFL. Uh, I've, won, I've won game. <laughs> one game. One game. It was a Josh Allen game. You got one more, more. You got one more than me right now, Bruce. So, uh, well, he he talked. He came. He, it was fascinating. He talked about how different it was than than reporting on a sideline report for a college game, mainly because they're so much more forthcoming about the um, injury stuff. So, I know you only have a preseason game under your belt so far, but what do you think will be? How do you think this might be different from you know a, a Saturday night game in the SEC? Yeah, I, I do think you know it is a, a a professional league that is a business, right? Like these guys can't run their programs a la Nick Saban and just be the totalitarian boss. Um, it doesn't work in that same way. There are agreements that are made and understandings and, um, and we're all a part of that machine that is very different from the college game. Um, and I think that's it, right? That this is a business. And I mean, that's not to say that my gosh, we're seeing college sports turn into a business of a very different breed. Um, but yeah, I think, I'll have to come back on Audible, um, you know, in, in six weeks or so and give you my observations of how it is different, because in a lot of ways, I'm just I'm trying to treat it the same, you know, in terms of how I do my job. Um, but my gosh, it is a full time job for me to prepare to the standard that Fred Goodelli demands uh, for one game a week. It truly is. You know, when I was at ESPN, I, was, I would juggle a lot of different responsibilities in a week, whether, uh, you know, that would be being on a campus for Sports Center. Uh, filming a feature on a different campus, um, going to a Thursday night game uh, in college and then being on set for Saturday morning SEC Nation. And, then, you know, there was just so much. Um, and I love doing it that way. And, you know, and there was a time where I thought when I first got this offer from Amazon, where I thought, oh, well, I can still do Good Morning America on Monday and maybe World News on Monday night and then maybe Good Morning America on Tuesday and then head to my Thursday game and then, you know, so on and so forth. And absolutely not. I mean, that would not be physically possible. Um, the level of, of preparation and just the, um, the communication and work that goes into an entire week. Uh, preparing for a Thursday night is uh, is literally a different ball game for me. But I love that. I mean, I'm such a preparation breeds confidence kind of person um, that I'm happy to do the work. I like doing the work, and uh, I've got no other choice than to do it here. What is the thing you missed most that once you got back out? I know it was an exhibition game, and it's different college from NFL, but it's still football. Like, what was the thing you missed most when you're actually out there? And there, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's in the meetings because there's an adrenaline you get from, from the meetings and the preparation. I don't know if it's just when they're about to get on the field. There's just a lot of stuff that goes on. I feel like that's different when you're on the field. What's the thing that you really missed? Yeah. You know, for the five years that I was away, 
I realized how hard it was for me to just be a casual fan. And like how many times you guys, I texted both of you at different points in the last five years, like wanting to know more about a story either of you were covering because I was so unfamiliar with being out of that inner loop. Right. So, um, yeah, that's what I've missed is just like really being a part of it and having information that other people don't have and being the one to be able to share it about a game that people care so much about. Um, so yeah, I mean, so far it is just, uh, just getting this, getting to see the guys and, and, and getting to hear about all the work that's gone into to their week of preparation, but also, man, it's just, I mean, walking into a stadium, like feeling that energy, there is no adrenaline rush like it. And the NFL hits different. I mean, even just from doing one preseason game, I know that. And that was not a full uh, Reliance Stadium in Houston. So, or NRG, whatever we're calling these days. But, um, but my God, I fully intend to hear that in Arrowhead and feel that. And um, it's, you can, you guys know how cool it is, how cool it is to feel that. Cause I, I am capable of, of operating on adrenaline. I mean, I think it's what gets us through a lot of these assignments, right. When we're exhausted and there's a lot going on and uh, you're trying to keep your focus, but yeah, let's, let's get that adrenaline pumping as somebody who was never an athlete, like as somebody who's never run out of a tunnel uh, myself, uh, you know, this is my version of that in my own life. And um, that's, that's going to be a, an incredible feeling to feel again. By the way, it's funny. You mentioned like texting us about, I think it was often about LSU or um, <laughs> I know I, we were, we were helping each other out with the return to play stuff, but I would also text you about uh, the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Like tell me <laughs> yes. more about the Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes trial. I was really, uh, I became really fascinated with unfortunately the Alec Baldwin uh, movie set uh, story that you were covering um, it's just funny, like whatever field you're in, you're more curious about the other person's <laughs> field sometimes. For sure. my, la- my last thing is you mentioned very casually, first time I talked to Al Michaels. I mean, Al Michaels to me is like a, a, an icon. Like, I don't know him. I've never spoken with him. I know Kirk. So like, he's a human being to me. But Al Michaels is like a, a mythical figure on the screen. What is it like working with him? So before I ever met Al, I actually listened to his uh, book and I was honestly hoping that he would read the whole thing. Um, he, spoiler alert. He doesn't, he does read the miracle on ice chapter and the introduction where he talks a lot about his family. Um, but nevertheless, I totally uh, encourage any sports fan out there um, or anybody who just loves good storytelling to, to read or listen to Al's book because his stories are just incredible. And I can say now it is even better to hear him in person um, I mean, he truly is the voice of, of, I mean, not just a generation, like multiple generations of sports fans, right? He is the voice and he is, my gosh, he is everything I could have ever asked for him to be. Um, he's so kind. His just institutional knowledge of the NFL is so incredible. And he's lived a fascinating life and had a front row seat to, to history and some of the biggest sporting events over the last, I don't know, five decades. Um, the first time I ever heard him, you know, say my name in the sort of broadcaster way that he does was at our, our talent seminar where all of the, the Amazon crew got together for the first time. And um, we were doing these little, you know, moments to, to bring up the pregame show crew and then the game crew and different areas of production so that everybody could get to know everybody a little bit better. And Alan Kirk went up there first and 
And um, I knew I'd be brought up with them eventually. And so I get the, uh, you know, and now and Al just hamming it up in the moment was like, and now let's send it down to the third member of our team, Kaylee Hartung. And I was like, oh my gosh, she just said it in my name out of Al Michael's mouth. This is what it's going to feel like. Um, so it's like if the crowd around me in Arrowhead doesn't get me going enough, hearing Al Michaels uh, say my name on Thursday night will uh, take it to another level. But it just it's truly an honor to work with him. Um you know, that's not hyperbole. Uh, I just feel like I'm being put in such an incredible position to succeed in this role because of him and Kirk and Fred. Um, I couldn't ask for better teachers and just to see their process week in and week out is going to be one of my favorite things about working with them, just to see how they get the job done. I mean, Al goes into our production meeting on Thursday mornings with a notepad. I mean, a handwritten notes, for how he's going to handle the open and uh, just to sit next to him in our first one of those for our preseason game. It was one of those observational moments for me of like, that's all it, that's what he's got. Cause he's got it up here, you know, um, just the ultimate pros pro. So it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be incredible to, to call him a teammate and do this weekend and week out with him. All right, Kaylee, we appreciate you joining us today on the Audible. We're going to be watching. Um, we're excited to have you back in sports. It's very thanks. thanks. Uh, I can't believe it was five years. It, it, I know, me neither. We're two of the people who who know how to watch Amazon Prime on our TV. Um, I know that I saw that Amazon customer service is going to be standing by for all the people who Ooh. can't quite figure it out. But uh, you know, it's I mean, it's a really interesting it- moment. Right. Amazon really is making it easy. Like when they demoed all of it for us in that talent seminar, I mean, you open up prime video on Thursday night, you can't miss it. You know, it's that title banner at the top. It'll start auto playing. And if you have a subscription already, you know, you hit the watch now button and you're in the game. I mean, it's open the app, hit watch now. No no other uh, move is needed, right? If you don't have a subscription, you click watch now, bam, you can sign up for one. Um, and then you go to amazon.com, like random person who needs to buy new diapers for their kid. Like you go to amazon.com on Thursday night, same thing. Top title banner on amazon.com will be the game. And right now, even if you go to amazon.com in the lead up to it, there's a countdown clock. I mean, it's been important for me to take notice every time in the last, even in the last week where I've seen the uh, promotion for it, because it's everywhere and I ha- I pinch myself every time like that's my game what in the world is happening uh so it's it's cool to get to take advantage of all of the you know the, the subscriber base right that Amazon has the um like omnipresence of Amazon in our lives let's hope it uh translates to a whole bunch of viewers for Thursday Night Football slightly bigger audience than uh, our days at CBS Sports Network <laughs> by the way oh, I had no day. idea Bruce said list like casually this week. He's like, you know, Kaylee was my favorite CBS coworker. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it wasn't a big when? pool. It was basically Brian Jones. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, it was a very small yeah. crew. But, but I don't, yes, I had no say. idea that you were on CBS Sports Network. Two seasons. My first season uh, on Football Sidelines Anywhere was uh, 2010. Yeah. I did, I started with, uh, they contracted me to do two Navy home games. And I was living in DC, so there was no expense uh, needed, you know, for me to me to travel there. And uh, after I worked my first game, which actually 
wiggled my way into working a TCU Wyoming game before that first Navy game that I had. And uh, I worked every college football Saturday after that for the next seven years. So, um, you know, and somehow here, here we are 12 years later. Um, I think I remember the, the, one of the breakthrough moments along the way was, I don't know if Samantha Pond, Samantha Steele was getting married or had, or was having a baby, but she couldn't do the AM spring game and you were at the Longhorn Network, right? And so we were there. I was working on that QB book. And so afterwards, we were both kind of in the college station. So she's giving me a ride. We're going to go eat and meet up with some people. And she gets a call from her, her mentor, who's like a broadcast legend in, you know, in real news, Bob Schieffer. And I'm listening to him, like she's trying to drive and I'm listening to like, him not critique her but really support her and it's kind of a really sweet thing where it's like telling her what like he watched the AM spring game the whole thing to watch the sideline reporter which i thought was very very cool and then from there you just kind of took off i mean somewhere along the way there was a lot of tequila drinking and <laughs> in college that station. night in college station yes. was was uh was one to remember uh the the johnny manzel era Whew. let's hope uh, none of that ends up on the new untold uh, about Johnny Manziel <laughs> than his spring game, but, uh, but yeah, I remember the, it's the only spring game. I think that's the only spring game that the field has ever been rushed for. Johnny brought out the, the weirdest and the craziest and everybody, but I, I just, I still remember the Bob Schieffer call um, in that. And He'll was, be watching on Thursday. I'm sure he will. They could, they could really use Johnny right now, by the way. Um, uh, A&M, you think? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kaylee, I can't, I'm just so happy you made time for us given all the preparation you have to do. Good luck Thursday night. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, appreciate you guys so much. Feel free to send your feedback after the game, you know. Yeah, we'll do. (laughs) Bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back 
along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. All right, Bruce, we got some great emails this week. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. This first one is directed to you um, from Chad Justice in Raleigh, North Carolina. Bruce, I was wondering how you go about compiling your coach's candidates list when a coach gets let go. I always enjoy reading about the candidates. Do you prep the article in advance when you have a feeling a coach is going to be let go? Do you use your own knowledge or get input from source league sources? And does the timing of the firing impact your list? For example, some people have interpreted that Nebraska fired Frost early uh, before the de- decrease of buyout because they're going to go big name hunting for a coach not currently coaching. I wonder who he's referencing there. I don't know. Tell I us mean, about your process. Yeah. So I usually keep a list of names for schools, depending on conversations I've had either with people around the school or people in the search process, um, as well as from coaches I know who may have some kind of connection to people involved, either uh, people who become administrators at those schools, maybe that work with earlier or some kind of connection. So that's kind of the lay of the land. Now with Nebraska, I expect uh, Trev Alberts to overturn a lot of rocks. And there's a lot of people that my gut is probably won't get the job. So I didn't list 20 candidates. I think I listed maybe eight. Um, and as far as the big name candidates out there in terms of early, uh, you know, Bronco Mendenhall is out there. I don't know if you'd call him a big name, did a really good job at BYU, um, had a kind of an up and down tenure at Virginia. Uh, I, I could see him being a real candidate for, for Nebraska. Um, but there aren't many people who are not out there coaching. Now there's one who's not coaching who I work with and that's urban Meyer. I'm fairly Uh, certain that's who Chad is referring to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd be, I'd, I kind of would be surprised if, if he would go there and if they would hire him, I don't know. He's never, you know, I've only actually been around him now a week since, uh, since he's been back with us. Um, I don't have really much of a feel on how he's thinking about it. And I also don't have a feel if Nebraska would, would want to go in that direction. Um, because now I think with, if you're hiring Urban Meyer, yes, he's won three national titles, but I think the perception of him is different, certainly to a lot of people after his almost one year with the Jaguars. I think I'm guessing one of the challenges with this, right, is that you know, I think the natural instinct everybody has when they're looking for possible candidates is the first thing you do is who has a connection to this school, right? And you mentioned with Chris Kleiman, I'm sorry, with Lance Leipold, obviously he worked there a couple of decades ago. And so if it is going to be, if that is going to be a main criteria, then that probably increases your chances of getting it right or getting, getting that can't that the guy who ends up getting the job on that list, but you obviously never know when, and here's a great example of Nebraska past, right? Who would have, ever thought that Nebraska was, would hire Mike Riley. There's, there was zero, zero connection there. Or um, How did that work out, Sue? Not good. Not good. Uh, I'm trying to think of a more recent example. Um, of somebody who Auburn, had no connection or somebody who had a connection? Cause, no connection. Like, because then you're just... Bronco Mendenhall. No, <laughs> no another shocker. And you end up yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Auburn hiring Brian Harson. Um, like... 
that the only way you're going to know about that is if you actually, like you said, you're talking to somebody directly involved in the search and, and you know, this guy is on the mix. Otherwise you're just, you'll just be blindly guessing at, um, at every, you know, every possible coach in the country. I also think, you, you know, you like get a lay of the land off almost always, but not always you get a school that usually doesn't hire of some version of what they just fired or got rid of. Meaning if it didn't work out and you hired a first time head coach or somebody without any head coaching experience, you're probably not going to go back and hire somebody else who hasn't been a head coach before. A lot of times you will see people go at, eh, didn't work out with a defensive guy. We're going to go offense, you know, even if it's just to energize a fan base or anything. And honestly, Scott Frost, because he did a terrific job at UCF, he was only a head coach for two years. And the stuff we've heard from talking to people inside the program is not, it was very disorganized in his time at Nebraska. I think even though he wasn't a first time head coach, he didn't have a ton of head coaching experience. I think that could hurt potentially some first time head coach candidates. You know, we have a Jim Leonard, who's the one guy, one coordinator I said I could see potentially being in the mix, but he's never been a head coach. And I, I wonder, you know, could he blow people away in the interview process? Sure. But I think it's, it's always hard to, to kind of expect somebody to, you know, like one of the people whose name comes up a little bit, who's done a really good job um, is Jonathan Smith. But just mm-hmm. for what I just said, I don't see Nebraska hiring another Oregon state head coach, you know, even though they're not that similar. Um, I just think that it's like, it's tough for a fan base to go, wait a minute. We just hired one of those guys from there not that long ago and it didn't work. All right, Stu, let's get to a question for you. And this question is from Ryan in Houston. Curious to get your thoughts on the ratings for this past week. Alabama versus Texas was the highest rated game this year and fourth highest rated game, football game, college football game Fox has ever had. Meanwhile, BYU Baylor put up solid numbers for two future pack big 12 schools. If I recall, higher than most of the other non-OU Texas Big 12 ratings. I realize these are small sample sizes, but with Texas moving to the SEC and BYU moving to the Big 12, do you think this maybe helps those leagues get a bit more money in the next media rights negotiation? Well, the SECs is already set, but in terms of the Big 12, um, you know, they're making those decisions based on years and years and years of data. Probably not one game is going to to affect it. But I did notice, I mean, Baylor BYU, that was, you know, that was a rare situation where the late night, you know, 10, 15 Eastern game is a game between two top 25 teams. Baylor was even in the top 10. And obviously BYU is the one school that will be in the big 12 as of now that can host those games. So I think that's a good selling point for the big 12. In fact, BYU you know, when BYU is good, uh, BYU does does really well uh, for TV. Uh, there's a reason ESPN, you know, as they're, as they're an independent and ESPN has always had the rights to all their, I think, almost all their home games. Um, I was surprised when after Texas and OU left and they were talking about, you remember like in the initial, I feel like you wrote one of these stories where people inside the Big 12 were saying, oh, there's nobody out there that can actually raise our value. And I remember thinking, I mean, I would imagine BYU's, you know, historical TV ratings are better than most of the 
current Big 12 schools. Yeah, but I think what what that comes back to is the drop off between the one and two who are leaving and number three. You would get some some group of five ADs saying, well, our school rates very similar to the other ones. And well, it's the other ones that's the problem. If you do not have right. the heavyweight brand, you know, like when BYU made that independent movement is a long time ago now. I remember some BYU fans were like trying to compare themselves to Notre Dame because they had a national following. And my point is, on a, it's a much smaller scale, right? Notre Dame is just different. I, one of the things I would argue with Notre Dame is that not only does Notre Dame, I would say this certainly when Luke Holtz was the head coach, but even, um, you know, even a little more recently, but not to the same degree. You know, when Notre Dame is going well, there's a lot of people tuning in to hope to see them lose. You just don't have that with a lot of other, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, if Baylor is, is, is in the top 10, especially now with Dave Aranda as the head coach might've been different, you know, in the other, you know, when there was a little more stink off that, you know, in the wake of the Bryles, Ian McCaw days, but like people usually don't turn in, tune in for schools that they don't have a rooting interest to see one of these schools and go, I'm really hoping they lose unless they're gambling on the game, you know, and it's not that many people, you know, relative to that. Whereas you could have somebody with no gambling interest. Who's like, if you tell it, especially if Notre Dame is good and they're, and they're have a chance to lose. I mean, a big reason why our box rating was so huge from last weekend is because I'm sure in the last like half hour or 45 minute windows, that thing was way over. It was probably close to 13 or 14 million because people wanted to see Alabama lose. You know, they're tired of Alabama. And so I think that added to it in a a significant way, especially now with social media, there is a way like, yeah, I'm sure there's been stuff, especially like soccer games or or tennis matches where it's like you're a casual fan, but all of a sudden you see on social media, hey, I need to flip over to this game. That happens. You just don't have it the same with some of these brands that just don't resonate on the same degree. Yeah, I mean, nobody's saying that that, they're, you know, they're still not going to get the kind of money they would, obviously, with OU in Texas. And I'm not suggesting BYU is Notre Dame by any means. I just think relative to, for instance, I just pulled this up, the, the 1030 Eastern game in week one was Boise State, Oregon State on ESPN. That got 1.25 million viewers, which is decent. Uh, but Baylor, BYU in the t- same time slot, again, at the top 25 game, 2.37 million. If I'm the Big 12, I would frankly be selling the fact that you know, a, you can get some of those late night games, you know, it's not always the Pac-12 and B, uh, uh, you know, you said it yourself, like the difference it makes just to have a number in front of the team. Like if there's a, if there's a top 25 team playing, people are more likely to tune in. And I'm guessing over the last 10 years, Baylor has been in the top 25 a lot. Uh, Oklahoma state has been in the top 25 a lot. I would be, I would be, um, you know, I would be emphasizing that. Well, you also had a competitive game. You know what they don't tune in for? A blowout. And like we had uh, Oklahoma State on our air week one or week zero, and it was against Central Michigan. It was a wild game. But I think, you know, if it's a, you need more than, you know, a number, a number by your name. I feel like if it's two numbers, then that's then all of a sudden, like if that game was two unranked teams, it's not getting that number. No, of course not. And and again, it was perfect storm. You have a top 10 team, the other teams in the top 25. There's nothing else on really. And uh, and it went right down to the last second. Um, from Michael and Austin, hello, Stu and Bruce. I think it's a great storyline in the SEC that two traditionally mediocre teams, Arkansas and Kentucky, have high expectations. 
Is it unreasonable to believe the Hogs can go 10 and 2 and go to a New Year's Six Bowl? The back half of the defense is a little shaky. Part of that is due to two safety injuries, but I'm excited to be relevant again and part of the conversation like in the Petrino years. Woo, pig, suey. Stu, I watched that game, and for a second, like the last second, I think Arkansas was going to score 50 on South Carolina, and then the touchdown, defensive touchdown came back. I like them. I think they're really good. Um, you know, I think you could make a strong case that they they could be the second-best team in the West, um, especially with A&M looking really, really shaky. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting there thinking – you know, look, Alabama didn't look great last week either, but it's Alabama. We're not going to we're not going to gong them after one week. But if you look at really how their schedule sets up, you know, they do get Alabama at home. Um, I don't think winning it at A&M is going to be easy and by any stretch, I know. But like but then, by the way, you know who they have a couple of weeks after Alabama on the road? BYU. Man, I know. You know, that's like, a tough BYU, one. BYU has a chance like their schedule is so interesting because of who they play when they play them. Um, they're kind of a litmus test for a lot of schools. They're playing Oregon this week. Yeah, I know. I mean, is like, is Oregon really what we saw against Georgia? Or are they, they much different? Um, so I'm interested. I like KJ Jefferson. I think he fits that offense. I think Barry Odom's done a really, really good job on defense. Drew Sanders is one of the guys we've been talking a lot about. He was the Alabama transfer, had a huge game last week, 11 tackles, three TFLs. Um, you know, they still have bumper pool. I feel like Houston Nutt recruited him there. I mean, he's been there forever. They have uh, McLaughlin's a big time cornerback back there. They have they have playmakers that, at, you know, all over the defense. And so, you know, I could see them, I could certainly see them being a 10 and two team. I really think, I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy with, you know, when you have BYU in the non-conference and yeah. it's on the road and you're, you're getting BYU off of this stretch of at A&M, Alabama, at Mississippi state, and then you got to go to BYU. That's a long haul. Where- That's, that's yeah. those, those that four game stretch of AM at Arlington, Alabama at Mississippi State, which will not be easy either, and at BYU. If they can get out of that with three and one, one yeah, three and one, you're gonna be feeling really good because the back half to me is quite manageable at Auburn, Liberty, LSU, Ole Miss, who I, I don't we don't really know much about yet. My suspicion is they're not as good as last year, and at Missouri. So, uh, definitely attainable by the way, Bruce. There is a storyline this week that is flying completely under the radar, and I'm really surprised. Do you know who is going back to Fayetteville this weekend? Yeah, that asshole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Bob, Bobby Petrino is taking his Missouri State team to go play the school that fired him after the motorcycle accident with his mistress. How is this not one of the biggest stories in college football this week? I think it's. I think it's a. I'm trying to say this right. Like, I think it's hard to get nostalgia on anything Bobby Petrino does, you know, but obviously the neck brace story and everything else is, is gets more life, but like, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a short list of head coaches you could think of who people think of are worse human beings. So, yes. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's obviously a game Arkansas will probably win by 50. So it's not like uh, people aren't going to be tuning into the game, but I still think it's, I mean, what, what the first time he walks into the stadium, like onto the field could be some of the loudest booing I've ever heard in my life. The over under on how many neck braces will be in the crowd. What would you set it at? 
20. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I say that now I'm remembering that when Chad Morris was there and it was going so terribly, actually a lot of Arkansas, Arkansas fans wanted them to hire Petrino back. So I don't know. I still think, you know, now they've got their guy in Pittman, they can just like, you know, freely uh, uh, unleash the, the, the jokes and everything you're just saying. So Stu, this question is from Jordan in Columbus, Ohio. What's up, guys? As a guy who spent my entire life in the Eastern time zone, which is something, Stu, you did, I cannot understand why the West Coast is so up against Pac-12 after dark, especially on Saturdays. There's a three-hour difference between the West Coast and Eastern Standard Time. Doesn't that mean that most of the dark games start between 6 and 8 p.m. on the West Coast? That's normal time to start games. Am I missing something? Uh, Can you explain this? It's a fascinating cultural difference uh, that I've experienced living out here in the bit, uh, especially in the SEC, I would say, but also in a lot of the big 10, they love night games. They want it to be a night game. The SEC fans are furious when their game gets picked to be at, um, you know, 11 a.m. Central. And he is absolutely right. Most Pac-12 fans loathe. It's not that they're late. It's just that they loathe night games. From my experience, though, it's not always for the same reason. Uh, some Pac-12 fans, like the ones who actually attend the games, it's just not the culture out here. They don't want to spend the entire day tailgating. They want to tailgate for a few hours. Like if you asked a lot of Pac-12 fans what's the ideal time for a game to start, they would say 2 p.m. Tailgate for a few hours, go to the game. It's over in time to go out to dinner. Um, that was a lot different than the culture elsewhere. Then other there's other fans who don't like it because, for instance, Oregon, right? Is Eugene is two hours from Portland. So if you if that game doesn't kick off till 7:30 at night, you're getting back to your house in Portland very, very late. The teams don't like it because they don't like having to, you know, fly back and get back to campus at two, three, four in the morning. And then there are some fans who don't go to the games who just don't like that, you know, they know that if their team's playing at that time, that that not a lot of people back east are going to see it. Though I would actually say that's not necessarily as true as they think. Um, we, we just showed some of the numbers, talked about some of the numbers for that ESPN game. So, you know, it's like I like nobody's ever everybody, everybody in the country hates something about everybody the game. Agree, time. Everybody is aggrieved about something. Yeah, the the the, there's the SEC. Well, you remember Oklahoma like sent out a statement. They were so ticked about getting the noon, uh, big noon uh, game against Nebraska last year. You know, especially in this time of year when it's really hot. Um, Can I say something about this? Yeah, I think what this comes back to is nobody wants to do their part in in the entertainment value. Like for people like us. We want it to be a wall-to-wall college football. So what that means right. is somebody's going to have to probably get Somebody has to play those games. Somebody's going to get it on the back end. And, you know, I love I love the Pac-12 after dark games. Um, you know, it's a lot of times you don't have a rooting interest, but you're kind of zoned out in your head. I don't want to – I'm not somebody who wants to sit there and watch hours of highlights and rehash because I feel like I've seen a bunch of it during the course of the day anyway. Um, but I get it because people like – you know, why do college football coaches hate us so much? Because they love routine and structure. You know, no matter what day of the week it is, well, this is, you know, it could be a Wednesday, but it's really a Monday for them, depending on when they're playing. Because everything is about routine and structure to keep everything as normal and organized for their players and their operation as possible. You know, and I remember talking to Matt Wells, this is way back when he was in the Mountain West. And, 
you know, he was just, he wasn't like venting, but he was just like, all coaches want to play at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, yeah. they do. That's it. And, but you got to be realistic. It's like, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Everybody wants to play in the middle of the afternoon, but there's only so many TV slots, right? You can't all play in the afternoon. And, you know, so you want to play in the afternoon, but you also want all that ESPN and Fox money to fund your program and let you hire analysts and whatnot. So it's like, we'll pick one. <laughs> do you want to play whenever you want? And maybe your game gets on ESPN three, or do you want like a good exposure or do you want all that money? Cause if you want all that money, guess what? The TV networks get to pick what time you play. So um, there have been a couple, by the way, um, in the first two weeks of the season, there have been two teams that got stuck. Like Utah traveled all the way to Florida and they had some sort of plane issue and they got stuck there. I think well into Sunday it happened again this past weekend. I just off the top of my head, can't remember which school it was. So, you know, that that's another problem with night games is gosh. I mean, poor Utah had this basically lost a whole day trying to get back from there, but um, end of day, just completely cultural thing. Uh, some parts of the country love night games. This part of the country hates it. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.